and welcome back to Did You See? It is a podcast for each week, two friends. Myself, Dan, one of those friends, and himself. My name is Max. Get together and ask and answer each other the question that friends have been asking and answering since the dawn of stuff to talk about. Hey, did you see? So, Max, I'm going to lead him with a an actual news story. Not, like, nerd news, but it is also nerd news. Uh, did you mm. see that... Uh, thanks to the pro-democracy protests in 2019, Hong Kong is having a national security law imposed upon it that is going to drastically cut down on the number of Hollywood films that will be showing in Hong Kong. Oh. So, basically that, what I just said. Um, but the Beijing government was like, hey, no pro-democracy protests. Here's all of this new national security stuff. And it's a super vaguely written law, but it's basically, we can censor anything because it could be injurious to the People's Republic of China. And they have a film division within that. And so normally in mainland China, because let us remember Hong Kong is its own thing, but it's still controlled by mainland China because mainland China, uh, Normally, mainland China has uh, 34 international or foreign films that are allowed to distribute within the country every year. They have a quota. Right. Prior to this, Hong Kong did not have, prior to this and coronavirus, Hong Kong did not have a quota. It was one of the things they were allowed a little bit more leeway on. Right. And approximately, on average, annually... Hong Kong was worth to Hollywood over $200 million. And now that's going to get drastically clamped down on. Yeah, huge, a huge problem for yeah. them in terms of financial influx. Yeah, like I, I consider that really huge. And especially like I knew that Hong Kong, I knew that it was different from China, but I didn't realize like Deadpool, which was banned in China, aired in Hong Kong. Uh, Joker, which was banned in China. Uh, broadcast in Hong Kong, like a lot of stuff that gets flat out banned in Hong Kong was, or in China was broadcasting in Hong Kong or airing in Hong Kong. And this is, uh, this is fuck. Yeah. That's yeah. I didn't realize they had that much leeway either. Yeah. It's it. I think it probably goes back to the, uh, it being a British protectorate until 1999. Right. And so when the British surrendered it back to Beijing, Beijing probably was like, well, you're very used to a degree of freedom. So we're going to slowly clamp down on that over the next 20 years. Eventually just snap. Yeah. Well, they had those pro-democracy protests where the entire internet learned how to put out uh, smoke grenades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of people got really mad about that in Beijing. So now we have this. And I just, I think it's fascinating that this response to pro-democracy protests is shut down Western influence. It's yeah, it's really it's it says a whole lot about their belief system and the way they the way they see Western civilizations. Yes, and and uh, you know it's there's a phrase I'll take from the wonderful podcast Hardcore History of Dan Carlin: intellectual contagion. And I, I think that applies pretty well here for what Beijing is doing. But I saw this on like a regular news feed earlier um, yesterday, I think. And I, yeah, I think it was yesterday. And I could not believe, I was like, this is, 
we have to talk about this in the podcast just because of what this represents for Hollywood. I mean, $200 million annually now pretty much guaranteed to not come into Hollywood. Right, exactly. It's a big a big problem both in terms of Hollywood, which, I mean, you know, you and I are both lukewarm on to begin with. But that's but... basically the box office take for a re- one reasonably successful movie that's just gone. Right, exactly. It it doesn't it doesn't help. You know what I mean? A lot of the projects that you're hoping for, which is like, oh, cool, like, oh wow, that succeeded. That's awesome. How'd that work? And then you dig into it a little bit, and you're just like, oh wow, like really got lucky with international. Yeah, the international markets really propped it up, and now we're losing one of those. Yeah, pretty significant one. Yeah, it, it's annoying because it's 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 also annoying because it is just blatant censorship. And the fact that mainland China gets 34 foreign films a year and, you know, there, there's, I imagine, a fair chunk of those come from Bollywood and I imagine another portion of them come from Europe. You know, this right. is not this isn't 34 Hollywood films that get onto mainland China every year. And so right. now you're continuing to clamp down on this. And I look at it, too, from the perspective of all right, now how many more people aren't going to be influenced by Western cinema for art reasons, let alone, you know, the actual reason that the Chinese government is cracking down, that they think the Western influence is making people want to rebel, but you're you're depriving people of art. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? Because it's not like, I mean, they're, they're obviously things are tight there, but they're not, probably not nearly as tight as they would hope they are. So it's not like people are going to, miss out on these things right like even like the uk had this with the video nasty error of the uh the margaret thatcher age yeah if you really and, want to get access to it you can especially in the day and age of vpns yeah you're gonna figure it out you're gonna be able to get the media you choose to consume and when you're missing out on it you know i mean it could you know we've seen this you know with various rebellions and people surging against the government over the course of history but you're gonna push enough and it's you know what i mean like something's gonna Something's going to make them snap, right? Yeah, when like you eventually. clamp down hard enough, it sometimes snaps, and that's that's exactly it. So this is an interesting thing to follow, and uh, I, I know it's rare for us to talk geopolitics on this show, but because it's so directly impacted film, I was like, I, I gotta talk about this. This is wild. It and is. again, what a blow to Hollywood. I mean, you're talking about a, a multiple hundred million dollar blow to a several billion dollar annual industry. That's a visible blow. Absolutely. And I mean, on top of the hit that Hollywood's already taken since the pandemic. Yeah, it's uh, timing couldn't be worse on that one. Mm-hmm. It, it's not good. No, it's it's not great. So <sighs> we'll see. Yep. Yeah. So no way to segue here, <laughs> which is, you know, pretty typical. <laughs> yeah. No way to segue. Dan, did you see that Netflix is releasing an adaptation of of the Christopher Pike YA novel, The Midnight Club. No, nor have I even heard of this. So it's a YA novel from the 90s, 1994 oh. specifically. Um, it's essentially the... Con- so this came onto my radar because specifically of Dream Warriors. So okay. the concept is the this group of terminally ill patients at a hospital all get together... At midnight, very akin to the Midnight Society from Are You Afraid of the Dark, and tell each other scary stories. Mm-hmm. So along the lines of the book Ghost Stories by Peter Straub, it go or Ghost Story singular. Um, they 
kind of through the course of telling each other these tales, eventually it gets to a point where they all make a pact with each other that the first one to die of their particular illness mm-hmm. is going to communicate back with the rest of the group to explain what happens post death. Oh, wild. And so one of the, eventually one of the characters does die, and then weird things start to happen to the group. Huh. This this Midnight Order group, which is uh, our Midnight Club, which is pretty cool, I think. And an interesting uh, interesting show. I think it's a cool way to do a series. And um, Mike Flanagan is going to direct some of it. He is also producing it and show running it. Cool. And they've brought on a whole slew of different directors. It's going to be 10 episodes long, um, but they've brought on directors who have done horror TV, horror films, um, wow. all kinds of stuff. Like, it's really wild. The cast looks pretty cool. Heather Langenkamp's going to be in it. Oh, cool. For even more uh, Dream Warriors references. Yeah. But it looks really fun. The concept's really interesting. And I like the fact that they're really working to put together a team of people who are experienced in the medium because obviously like they tell each other stories and there's a lot of a lot of tonal shifts because of the fact that they're telling stories and there's a larger overarching story amongst that as well. That's really so cool. it's pretty Yeah, it's a really cool concept and I mean you couldn't ask for somebody at the helm. I mean, we all know that Flanagan if it's horror and Netflix is talked about Mike Flanagan's name probably is in the conversation. He's somewhere. kind of their guy at this point. He really is, and I mean for good reason, right? His track record is astounding. True, and like between like his ability, like Gerald's game, I thought was incredibly well done. Um, for Netflix, I haven't watched all of the haunting stuff yet, mm-hmm. but I need to do that. Uh, I heard Bly Manor is good, but not as good as uh, Hill House. So I need to uh, I need to catch up on that, but like Hush and Gerald's game, um, he went on obviously to do Doctor Sleep, which I thought was it was fine. Like it was an interesting take on The Shining. I like what he did to please fans of the book, the film, and the television series. Because as we know, those are all very different things. All of them very different beasts, and all of them. You know I mean, like all of them focus on different horror from. But it's neat that one piece of and this is completely unrelated, right? We're talking about Stephen King. Well, I guess it's sort of pseudo-related, but it's interesting that one piece can influence so many different things based on who's reading it and pulling different things out, right? Yeah. Like, the the alcoholism and things were so important to Stephen King, who was a recovering alcoholic, and that, that demon and that thing haunting Jack Torrance was really powerful, where that kind of got pushed aside in the Kubrick stuff, which some people argue makes it more powerful because it's just understated. And some people would say that it got ignored. I mean, I know King is a detractor of the, the Kubrick film, which I think is fantastic. And yeah. <laughs> then you agree. have the Mc, and you have the McGarris series, which focused on a lot of the things that King was focusing on and also really focused on the atmosphere and the not so much the look of the hotel but the impact the hotel had on the main characters because you had like mm-hmm. brian weber in there who just fucking crushes in that role i think a lot of people are just like oh he's no nicholson but it's like well, he's doing something totally different here yeah but that that's the thing right is everybody's that's every reboot remake re whatever everybody's going to compare for better or for worse the original uh performance even though you, you know you ask people like don't please go in with a fresh set of eyes they won't they can't it's human nature 
Right. Uh, I'm excited about the Midnight Club because William B. Davis, the cigarette smoking man from the X-Files, is a recurring character. Yes. I, I love yeah, him. Very cool. Yeah, there's so many cool they they picked like people you may not have heard of, but then when you look at their their IMDB profiles or you, you know, Google who they are, you're like, oh shit, they're great. <laughs> like they just done a nice job of picking this really awesome at and that's what you want in horror, I think, right? Like if you want to truly make it scary, the cast has to be pretty fresh. Because if it's the same people over and over again as your main cast, you're like, well, they're, you're going to take it out of it, right? Because you know that they're actors, and you've seen their faces, and you know that nothing truly terrible is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Where if you can remove yourself a little bit, and you're just like, I think I know who that person is, it kind of lends that feeling of it's not just you know super low-budget trash, but it also is like, oh, this could be kind of dangerous, like nobody's safe, because there's no A-list celebrity here. Yeah. So I think that it's a, I think it's a very cool choice. And seems to be very smart choices. I mean, again, Flanagan, but he seems to be making really cool choices, but I'm very excited. The directors all look really interesting and different. The book series, I remember being like, at night, I mean, obviously I didn't read it anywhere near 94. I probably read it, like, I'd say somewhere mid-high school-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so well after it came out, but like, you know, this came across, like, I remember the covers, because they had like a very, uh, if you remember Fear Street, which is yeah. also becoming a thing. Um, they had very Fear Street-esque covers, and I never read Fear Street because I thought that was like the dangerous Goosebumps, right? <laughs> it's like, I know it's oral. I know it's oral right in this still, but it looks like dangerous, right? Like, I'm like this kid, like this person in a ski mask with a knife. This is not a werewolf of fever swamp, you know? Like, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> not a shocker on Shock Street. This is just a dude with a knife. This is a little too real for me. You know what I mean? It's seven, eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> And Christopher Pike's covers had that same kind of evocative feel. It's like, this feels a little bit grounded, but it had that cool, like, dangerous babysitter club cover, if you will. (laughs) I love the idea of that. Yeah, like somewhere where it's just, like, dark boxcar children. It's like, (laughs) what are we, what is this? Like, it's really, really cool stuff. I really like the dark boxcar children. Love that. Yeah, right? It's, it's really some cool stuff. And those Hardy Boys covers, like, all those, those like teen aimed works have always had those kind of like really cool, heavily illustrated, like hand painted looking covers. Mm-hmm. So it just made it a little bit more dangerous. Where it's just like, oh man, we're sneaking around at night and the only light is that flashlight. What's going on here? <laughs> I dig that. Yeah, me too. So hopefully it's good. Cautiously optimistic. It does release this year. So it's not something far flung, even though I'm talking filming already started in March. Uh, okay. Announcements were first made about it picked up in February, but now that they brought on a whole slew of directors and cast and things there's more news picking up so hopefully by i imagine for this is a halloween release right like right about they're that probably time. aiming for it yeah yeah so should be pretty sweet yeah seems interesting pretty sweet yeah pretty sweet so more content i'm gonna yeah, i'm gonna uh, make a i guess the only connection i have here is this is about a filmic thing that's coming oh uh max did you know that legendary is rebooting the toxic avenger I do know this. Do you know that Kevin Bacon is joining it as the antagonist? I do know that as well. I did not, and what? I mean, why you, not, right? Do you know who's playing Toxie? No. Peter Dinklage. You know, I read that too, and I completely forgot about it. That <laughs> makes, I mean, I guess it makes sense. I'm excited to see what in the hell they're going to do with this. Yes, but, agreed. Like, like, it's really, I mean... Not like it's really difficult 
Like I know the to- I know Toxie's beloved, right? Like I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes or insult anybody's for whatever reason. Toxie is beloved, right? I like Toxie. I like. There's a few in the franchise later that I like. Um, there are some that I completely detest, along with most trauma films. Most, not all. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I totally. I mean, I see. I can see why Bacon's doing it because he he has a fondness for some really weird shit. I I think I think it really is like a. Uh passion project perhaps for him yeah it feels like something where he's just like oh man that'd be really fun to do especially with the the like you said it's a heavy hitting cast for the toxic avenger but it's and it's funny if you think about toxie right like you go back i don't know if, when the last time you've watched toxie is but oh christ I, like, I haven't seen a toxic avenger film since like, we were in high school yeah it's like there's a lot of nudity there's a lot of really over the top violence it's, like, not an okay thing for a child to watch, much like mm-hmm. RoboCop. And then, much like RoboCop, it spawned the Toxic Crusaders, which was aimed directly at children. Very weird. So it's just like, why in the world, like, if a kid backtracked and was like, oh, cool, where this, the Toxic Crusaders are awesome, I love the cartoon, I love the video game, I want to watch the Toxic Avenger movie. Uh-huh. Whoops. Uh-huh. Like, what happened here? <laughs> like, you can't let your child... Like, you know I mean, like, I did that with Ghostbusters, right? Where the real Ghostbusters was a cartoon. It's like, oh, it's really cool, so I want to watch the movie. There's some stuff in Ghostbusters that is not the best, right? Oh, There's yeah. some lines, right? This man has no dick. It's yep. not exactly something you want a kid exposed to, I, I would think. There's some genuinely scary stuff. The cab driver's legitimately a horrifying makeup. Um, yeah. But on the whole, I don't think... You know, Ghostbusters is horrendous. I think even with a modern... Uh, rating system it it's kind of a soft pg-13 probably um but yeah it's just like and there's a bunch of stuff in there you don't pick up on right like as an adult it's like oh wow this is some you know some stuff that's subtle in here that i didn't even touch on uh-huh. but that's how kids work and toxie though i mean it's just boobs all over the place and somebody's head gets run over by a car and i mean like it's just blatantly i mean like there's like all kinds of questionable things in there and regarding homosexuality and disabilities and it's a toughie right like that's how'd they spawn a child's ip off that and now it's i mean I, it makes you wonder what the reboot's gonna be is it gonna follow like a toxic crusader kind of more fun but la- but way more pulled back kind of thing or is it gonna go balls to the wall schlocky nasty cheapo kind of i don't want to say necessarily exploitation-y but I as hope, much as trauma can aim at exploitation. I really hope it'll do that. I don't know Macon Blair, the writer and director, literally at all. I heard of, I've heard of, I don't feel at home in this world anymore, which is the only other, or the only released film he has as writer and director. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I've seen, okay, I've seen Logan Lucky. It was the only thing I've seen that he was in as an actor. Um, I think you, have you seen Green Room? Okay. Uh he's in that. He's... As an actor? Yes, he's uh one of the skinheads, uh Gabe. Okay. That's I mean that movie's very good. Yeah. You would like that movie, yeah. He also di- directed two episodes or no, he was he was the Phantom Stranger on Swamp Thing. That's cool. Oh, that is cool. And he directed an episode of Room 104, but then again you throw a, a nickel in Hollywood and you hit somebody who worked on Room 104. <laughs> that was the Duplass brothers whole point in doing it. Right. Uh, it was, we're just going to give people we like a chance to make cool stuff. But I I don't know. 
I, I don't know. I really like liked Toxie. I guess I can't say I like Toxie because I haven't seen it in twenty years almost. But I liked Toxie. Yeah, I I enjoy the first Toxic Avenger. I like the fourth Toxic Citizen Toxic. Citizen Toxic, yeah, the fourth one. Um, like the second one is, it doesn't quite work. It's not quite there. You know, what I mean, like they're all over the place. There, I mean, there's some fun watches in there. It's you just know you're going in for some really like low, low, low brow film. If you're going to check them out before the remake. I mean, and if you're again, looking for any at any trauma film, you're going in for something very low, 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 bro. Yeah, it's the lowest of low, cheapest of cheap, but it's entertainment, right? I mean, I definitely have enjoyed several trauma films. Yeah, I mean, I'd say you're going to enjoy... A successful trauma film is you enjoyed more of the runtime than you were pushed away by the other part of it yeah <laughs> like Poultry that's Geist. pretty much yeah pretty much like there's so many bad ones like really bad ones and it's just like ugh. like but if you can if there are more of it you enjoy like i enjoyed 45 minutes of this hour and 15 minutes yeah. then that's a successful trauma film I, right there i didn't shut off sergeant kabuki man the first time i watched it you know and sadly i think that's one of their stronger efforts <laughs> I would. I can't remember. I watched it drunk during college. I can tell you that the same car crashes in it. I think four different times. That's amazing. And That's I do. Good. I do genuinely enjoy parts of Tromeo and Juliet. Oh yeah, Tromeo and Juliet. I mean, if you're not familiar with that, it's James Gunn who wrote that. It's definitely one of their more solid efforts. And it's probably my favorite Lemmy. I mean, As if you're gonna have a favorite Lemmy, yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah, <laughs> he does such a good job. So I got I got stuff. All right, it has hit to me. do with stuff. Dan, did you see that DC is putting out a brand new comic for Static Shock called Static Season One? No. Yeah, it is coming up. Um, this coming week, as of recording, will be its release. Okay. So it looks pretty exciting. It's going to harken back to some of the original Static Shock, like pre-cartoon Static stuff. Okay. Which sounds pretty exciting. Um, I am, I mean, the art looks cool. It's by, uh, Chris Cross, hmm. which is pretty exciting. And Don't the writer is, you're right. <laughs> Vita Ayala is the writer. So I'm excited to see what the take is here. It looks, the art style looks really cool. The panel layouts look really interesting and different, um, from what I've seen so far, like it's not out yet, but it's pretty fun. It looks like it's going to be. Um, focus a lot more on Virgil and his family as opposed to um, just Virgil kind of trying to cope with, you know, superhero static shock. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> so I'm excited to see that because I do think that that's one of the things that got underplayed in the cartoon is his family was just kind of typical child. You know, if it's a superhero IP aimed at a child, it was the family was just like kind of, you know, Oh, we have no idea that he's a superhero, almost uh, to like a palm, like face palmy level. And well, that, but this that is... was that was the way comics used to be, though, right? Like Superman puts on glasses and suddenly is Clark Kent. Come on, right? Exactly. It's just kind of like that, like naivete that's <clears throat> at such a high level. Yeah, and that's not going to be the case here. It's going to harken back much farther to the original stuff, where where his family was more firmly kind of tied into his abilities and things because 
what's unique about static is there is a catalyst called the big bang that gives all of these what they call bang babies their powers so it's this tragic <laughs> event terrible, that happens that's a terrible thing to call them it really is but that's the that's what they went with so it's this inciting incident that didn't just give static his power right it wasn't like static was bitten by a radioactive spider it was uh-huh. this town deals with this crazy accident and a byproduct of that is all these people get superhuman abilities right so it's not like people aren't aware that there are these you know what i mean these these metahumans in the town of dakota and so static having powers is entirely conceivable and not out of the realm of possibility not something his his family would dismiss and his mom dies helping in that in a i mean she's a ambulance i believe paramedic and she ends up passing away trying to help people in the big bang which is i think really a, a cool piece and it yeah. ties the family together in a tighter way because obviously the dad clamps down and his sister takes on a little bit more of a motherly role and that's very much where it seems like the writer and artist are focused for this particular static that's neat yeah so i, I hope it's really good i mean i'm ex- always excited to see when static gets print because it doesn't happen all that often because mm-hmm. he's just not sadly not that popular of a character which kind of stinks because i think uh that concept the origin story and the the way they portray Virgil are great. Yeah, and it's really a strong character. And shouldn't you just, like it? Shouldn't I don't think he should be just like dismissed as like the the late nineties early aughts version of Black Lightning. And it's just like there's more to it than that. Like he's there's a lot more going on there, and you can build on things. And I know people tend to when they see a connection and they're just like, oh, it's just a ripoff. And it's like maybe it's not. Maybe it's an inspiration and it's building on that. Because without Static, we wouldn't have... You know, I mean, Static's a pivotal part of comic book representation, right? Like, we wouldn't have that level of representation if Static didn't exist. True. Like, those things help push and prove. I mean, there was... I mean, what do you have, three seasons, I think, of the cartoon on Several WB? Like, yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal for that time period to have something. And especially, like... And, like, it was relatively episodic, but it did build on each like you know what i mean like it built throughout the show like, it wasn't just you could you could tune in and watch the a story and go through it but the b story would backtrack and actually like build on prior episodes which i think is fantastic that is really uh, a great way to i mean that's how more tv should be built basically yeah it just worked really well it was something that i really hadn't seen previous to that and i mean it really dealt with some heavy shit even the cartoon series dealt with school shootings and things like that because there were people who just didn't want to deal with it. I mean, like, intolerance both in a racial level and because you had normal people and, you know, the same X-Men trope we had, right? The metahumans and the normal humans, and they're not okay, they're unnatural, and they should, you know what I mean? Like, they really got pretty heavy, and they could because they were like, well, this isn't a real thing, it's just an idea, but that makes it even more brutal. So I think that, you know, Static is awesome. If you've ever looked Static, definitely worth checking out the IP, 100%. That's right. That's right. I'm glad to hear that there's a, a new book coming for Static. But yeah, I do think that is going to bring us to the end of this episode. Folks, if you like what you're hearing, it's www.superliminalfilms.com. We can also be found on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. Bye, everybody. Go to Hong Kong. <laughs>